Sure, it's been a while, Marcus, but it's time for an episode of Five Favorites on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. Thank goodness my fingers aren't in gloves. I'll be able to count a little better today. <laughs> Counting is good, although <laughs> I may be pushing the boundaries of physics when it comes to five favorites on the Imbalance History. This time round, American guitarists of the 70s. Ah, the 70s. You remember them, Marcus. This is the time period that got me interested in possibly having a radio career because I would listen really? to the FM radio dudes at night yeah. while I was reading. I'd be listening in with the you know little light on in my bedroom, reading a book and listening to the radio dudes going, oh man, they're so good. Oh, this is great. I would love to do this. This is so fun. Sure enough, so it cool. happened. But yeah, <laughs> you know, it's and the music was great at that time period. It shaped our lives. It uh, shaped our music tastes. So, so much music, Marcus, all coming from the radio or from friends or in your case, friends, older brothers and sisters. However, we were finding the music, we were diving into it, and that led to a lot of discussions back to the 70s about who are the greatest guitar players, they're the greatest drummers, or this or that, right? And it turned into arguments back then. We've turned it into five favorites because, hey, it's what I like, it's what you like, and everybody's got their own, right? Absolutely. As we've matured, we've realized that at the end of the day, well, okay, let me rephrase that. As we've matured in some areas of our life, we have come to the understanding that there is no greatest because in life, for every greatest there is, there's always someone somewhere better. And that's just the way it Someone is. Someone yeah. comes along, some gunslinger from yep. Or some unheard of, very shy cowboy. There's so many talented people out there. Very 70s, yeah. dude. Kind of like, you know, uh, polyester clothes, bell <laughs> bottom, dude. The wide ones. <laughs> With the fake leather boots and the high heels. Men wearing high heels. I was part of it. I know. It was the 1970s. There's an explanation for everything, and not everything is bottom line disco. <laughs> However, there was guitar and disco. I'm curious to see if anything from the disco era of the 70s shows up in our five favorites of American guitarists of the 70s. I'm going to bet that it doesn't show up in your five favorites because I know how much you love disco. Aren't we planning an episode about Soul Train? You'll find out my true inner self on that one, my friend. Can't wait. Got a couple clarifications before we jump into this discussion, Marcus. First, if the group or artist is known for its multiple guitar sound, that counts as one in your five favorites for the same band. And the other one concerns context and how we feel now about our experience of these top American axe wheelers back in the day is the context for this discussion. Are we clear? Clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now at radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? Roger, over. What? Hey! Who? Any episode of Five Favorites includes a trip to the Vegas line. Marcus checking in with his contact in Vegas. What they say, man? Vegas is saying 1.5. We'll have 1.5 in common in this episode out of the Five Favorites that we're about to post for you here on the podcast. 
All right, time to take your bets at a 1.5 line. Marcus, what say you? I'm feeling like because of the variety and because of the fact that we were at different places in our life, one is going to be stretching it. So I'm going with one. I also post a one because I think there's really only one guitarist that we have in common. And I guess we're going to find out if we're right about that because it's the 1970s. All right, it's time to figure out who's going to go first. So we do the old flip of a coin. Call it in the air, man. Heads. Heads it is. Do you go first or do you defer? I will go first this time. On this episode of Five Favorites, the topic is American guitarists of the 70s. It should be a wild ride. Marcus, what is your number five? My number five is a group of brothers who made beautiful music. I feel like they're more of an institution than they should be. And I'm talking about Ernie Isley and his brothers, the Isley Brothers. It's your thing. Yeah, those riffs are so juicy, and those the music is just so beautiful, and the guitar makes you want to move. I love the Isley Brothers. Well, my number five is also a multiple guitar player situation, and they're kind of like brothers. Leonard Skinner's original triple axe attack, Gary Rossington, the original force, and always there through it all for the band. Till he had some heart issues in recent years. Man, I'm honored to call my friend. Also, Alan Collins, insanely talented, original guy with Ronnie and Gary. He led a tragic life, Marcus. The plane crash, he survived that. He survived his wife's death. He survived his 1986 auto crash that killed his girlfriend at the time and left him paralyzed from the waist down. It was all too much for him, though. The great Alan Collins. And the third point on this trident of rock and roll, Ed King, who joined the band originally as a bassist. Did you know that? I did not know that. It was one of those moments when Leon said, well, I'm leaving the band then. So they got Ed as the bass player, who they knew since they toured with him in his Strawberry Alarm Clock days. So he joined as a bass player. Then Leon comes back. So he stayed as the third in that triple axe attack when Leon came back. And that trio lasted until Ed's departure in 1975. It was the torture tour, Marcus. Bob Burns, the original drummer, had quit three weeks before. And Ed left, too, in a legendary story that takes more time than we have right here. The band played with two guitarists until Steve Gaines joined in 1976. High number five, the original Triple Axe Attack, Leonard Skinner. Nice choice. Such a great band. But next on the list, Mr. Ray, number four, what is yours? The duo that are my number four, one, Phil from the Frank Zappa music tree, 
And the other was a child of Hollywood actors and an L.A. native, Paul Barrere. Well, George fell from the Zappa tree, and he met Billy Payne while he was in The Mothers. Then he started his own band, The Factory, because Frank told him he had to get out there and do it, right? That's where he met Richie Hayward, who became the drummer for Little Feet. They did F Troop. You must be Sergeant O'Rourke. Ah, that's right, yeah. We're the group you hired to play for your military ball. You're kidding. You're the group? That's right, Captain. We call ourselves the Bed Bugs. <laughs> the Bed Bugs? We'll give you a little demonstration of our music. Okay, boys, hit it. <laughs> Later, he took Roy Estrada and morphed into Little Feet after the factory folded and started with the four-piece, Lowell George, Billy Payne, Roy Estrada, and Richie Hayward. There was a woman in Georgia, didn't feel just right. She had fever all day and chills at night. Now things got worse, yes, a serious bind. Times like this, it takes a man that's a style like getting out of a vine. A doctor of the heart and a doctor of the mind. Thing is, Lowell's one of my heroes. But he had a drug, health-shortened life, and career. Slide guitar hero to so many then and now. And to give you an idea of the problem that led to his death, his friend Fred Tackett. We were driving down the New Jersey Turnpike in this bus, and we stopped at this pizza joint off the highway. Everybody in the band shared a cheese pizza, but Lowell bought a large pizza with everything on it, carried it to the bus, and ate the whole thing by himself. He died two or three days later. So when people ask me what really killed Lowell George, I say it was the pizza on the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> a lighthearted way to talk about really serious, sad loss. Because Paul carried on, but it took him a long time to get back around to Little Feet. And I was very proud to be friends with him and part of everything that led around to the Let It Roll album and that, that band coming back when they were long gone. That's my number four. The dynamic duo of Little Feet, one of my favorite bands of all time. What's yours, dude? My number four goes back to my days of listening to the radio at night with the light on reading a book and hearing the band Sticks for the first time. James Young, Tommy Shaw go down as my number four. Their music I listen to regularly throughout the 70s. I still remember when Renegade came out and how blown away I was by it and how much I loved it. Uh, Miss America, where James Young sings, one of my favorite stick songs of all time. Just love <laughs> that just band. because they would love to hear this. Maybe they will. I'll, I'll make sure Charlie finds out that we're talking about them as uh, your favorite guitar players of the 70s. So that maybe they'll get an ear on it. Maybe get one of those boys come on sometime. I worked with them for a couple years and a lot of adventures uh, along the way with sticks. So you're number four, James Young. T-Shaw. Hmm. 
Oh, absolutely. Their music's so, so important in my childhood, and I can't even tell you how worn out the grooves in those albums are, which I still have to this day. I'm starting to wonder if we're going to have any in common, because it's time for your number three, Marcus. My number three, two guys that really helped drive the earth, wind, and fire sound through their golden years in the 70s, Johnny Graham and Al McKay. I used to dance around the house to Earth, Wind, and Fire all the time. back and forth to each other and in and out was just gorgeous along with the horns and the rest of the sound of the band they were just incredible that's my number three well i'm gathering myself here because i actually have a connection it's an intersection if you will between my number four and my number three it's a song my guitar wants to kill your mama it's from the weasels rip my flesh out with Lowell and roy in the band in the mothers with frank <laughs> that leads me around to my number three frank fucking zappa man now while he may have employed many axe masters he was the dolly rocker when he was up front no doubt whose show it was musically genius expanded his own medium beyond the borders right Mm -hmm. then created a garage atmosphere for three acts to close the 70s we could jam and chose garage his mama was screaming and his dad was bad we was playing the same old song in the afternoon and sometimes we would play it all night long it was all we knew and easy to so we wouldn't get it wrong all we was been the stream like Hey, down in Joe's garage We didn't have no dope or LSD But a couple of quarts of beer Would fix it so the intonation Would not offend your ear And the same old chords going over and over Became a symphony we could play it again and again and again Cause it sounded good to me One more time Overnight Sensation Apostrophe An album duo that made his name huge overnight with a whole generation But it was stuff like Inca Rhodes on One Size Fits All In fact, all of One Size Fits All his use of the talents of people like George Duke and Napoleon Murphy Rock, Chester Thompson, and others. He created a jazz rock company, if you will, on every album. His own classical stuff, too. The music of Francesco Zappa, an 18th century non-relative, despite the name being the same. Beautiful stuff, if you like chamber music. And Frank made it work. Now, I'm really going to talk to you, Marcus, about when it comes to the guitar and the sound of the guitar and Frank Zappa. The solo at the top of Pojama People 
In fact, the guitar on the whole goddamn track is out of this world. And if you really want to talk about it, you have a month because it'll take me four fucking weeks to cover the man. <laughs> is a complex man and with all of the uh, musicians he got to work with over the years pretty impressive but again like you said when he laid it down everybody knew he was laying it the fuck down well buddy i think you know i got to spend some time in the same space with frank on a couple occasions and let me just tell you it was always electric just to be in his presence and hear what was on his mind whatever he was talking about was transfixing was his presence intimidating at all because we knew how smart he was, how sardonic his sense of humor was, and how quick-witted he was? I just stood there and kind of stayed quiet and listened, and whatever banter was, I reacted to it, and I tried to listen and absorb what was in the room, you know, the energy of the room. I always said, if you're in that kind of situation and you don't have something to add to the conversation, just be there, be around, enjoy the vibe. And that's what I did when I was around Frank, at least on one occasion. We talked momentarily here and there when he came to visit for the Zappoween parties in the 80s at MMR. But wow, you know, the great one. My number three. Wow. One of the few true musical geniuses I can say that I've met. Indeed. All right. I'm thirsty, man. <laughs> I really am. So why don't we take a break and come back and we'll do the twos and the ones and the, oh my God, they almost made it because they're so great anyways. Here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, five favorite guitarists of the 70s. Hey folks, if you haven't checked out Boldfoot Socks yet, go to their website and do it today, boldfoot.com. And if you like what you see and you want to place an order, you can save 15% on us by entering the code HISTORY15 in the discount box. Now, Marcus, you've had some great personal experience wearing your Boldfoot socks. That is correct, Ray. I am an active cyclist. After hearing Josh tell us about his experience running a race in the desert in his bold foot socks. I had to give it a try on the bike, and they held really well. My feet didn't feel funky afterward, and after my spin class, my feet felt great. Not all wet and yucky. Wet and yucky, bad. Feeling <laughs> bold, good. <laughs> Go to boldfoot.com and check out all the styles, and they've got a wide variety of styles, no matter what your mood is about your socks and uh, colors, designs. It all fits into what you want out of a sock that holds up, and they definitely give you that support you need. I know from the times I've worn mine. Make sure you go to boldfoot.com and use the code HISTORY15 to get 15% off of your first order. Look, they're your feet. Be bold. 
As we start a new year, Marcus, it's always good to have the things we know and love so much near at hand. Help us as we forge forward, right? Absolutely. And new beers and good beers from Crooked Eye are a great way to ring in and celebrate 2023. I can see that you see where I'm going, bro. <laughs> Talking about Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro, you got to go in and hear the music, hear the band, feel the band, including the Crooked Eye Band every second Saturday. The brews, yes, but also the Salty Vets Barbecue. So delicious. Those fall off the bone ribs, everything. Matt's got this meatloaf thing he was working on the other night. I'm going in just to have a platter. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. So now you can go in and enjoy the full package, including great music, which you always get when you go in. Follow them on Facebook and stay in touch that way and find out what the latest things that are going on, including the latest brews. I had a couple of those when I was in the other night. Right in the heart of Hatboro, Crooked Eye Brewery. And thank you for being a partner of the podcast, The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Having some fun here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. We've wiped away the slate of who is holding what kind of a winning streak because we haven't done one of these in a while. We've been busy with so much stuff that has consumed us, I would say. Some of the research has been very consuming. I'm psyched that we had a chance to finally do a five favorite again after a while, but the research that we've done and the relearning and the learning have been fantastic, and it's been a lot of fun, and we hope that you feel it and hear it in the episodes that are coming up in the next few weeks. Just recapping, in our first half, there have been none in common. Vegas setting a line of 1.5 in this episode of Five Favorites. We're round to the twos and what you got at your number two, Marcus. My number two is a band I first heard on FM radio. And then I started seeing pictures of this crazy guy with his hat and all of the wacky guitars that were strangely shaped and colored. And then he had the double neck guitar that blew me away. And their music, still to this day, some of my favorite rock and roll. I'm talking about Rick Nielsen and his band Cheap Trick. They're incredible. All of it. Dream Police getting first indoctrinated at uh, Live at Budokan and going from there. I still to this day love Rick Nielsen and Cheap Trick. Nothing more to say to that, man. You've got it covered <laughs> when it comes to the boys from Rockford, Illinois. One of those great rock bands you never get enough of. And they're still putting out great music to this day. And I highly recommend their Christmas album from a couple years ago. Go get it. <laughs> Probably on special by now, right? Definitely, but it is a fantastic Christmas album.
And Ray, it is time to share your number two. The sheer amount of joy that these two guitar players brought to the world together and still add to people's lives every day, even though they haven't been to a dead show in years. And of course, one half of the duo, Jerry, hasn't been with us in a long, long time, too. That amount of joy, immeasurable. Both Bob Weir and Jerry Garcia had lyricist partners, but they brought the zest to each other's material and albums as well. They had chemistry in the studio that extended to the stage. They were an amazing energy thing, and they could sense each other in ways that I've never seen musicians do. Well, jazzers can do it. Talking about two of my favorite guitarists in one of my favorite bands, The Grateful Dead, at my number two. I have been fortunate to see The Grateful Dead live once, and I've listened to a lot of their music thanks to so many of my friends who have been very, very into them. I love their music, and the guitar work always stands out in their songs. In episode of Five Favorites, we're talking about our five favorite American guitarists of the 1970s. What's your number one, bro? My number one is a guy who was only part of the 70s for a couple of years, and his influence on me as a kid, so huge. When they came out, he was the new kid on the block, and being 10, 11, 12 years old, this shit spoke to us, and it spoke to us hard, and we felt like he was ours. And I'm talking about the late, the great Eddie Van Halen. All hail, Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> All I'll say is he's my number one honorable mention, and the only reason he's probably not my number one or number two is because the albums all came out in the last 18 months of the 70s. His impact beyond that is also immeasurable, not unlike the Grateful Dead for the 70s. I feel like Eddie Van Halen is the maestro of our times, the greatest classical composer amongst us, so to speak. Oh, without a doubt. His music really, really so spoke to us. And being at that age, at that time, there's no American guitarist that smacked me and my friends at the time the way he did. He hit us hard. Every guitar player then, when he first hit and since, has had to sit there and go, damn. Because as Wolf recently put it in an interview, dad never did anything half-assed. Well, this may be the difference in experiential time shifting for us, you know, me being a couple <laughs> years older, because my number one are the Aerosmith twins, Joe Perry and Brad Whitford, joined at the rock and roll blues rock hip, a lifetime of kicking ass on stages of every size and shape all over the world. 
the songs, the life they add to Tyler's words, the tandem playing together, weaving is what Keith Richards calls it, from their debut, songs like Make It and Somebody, of course, Dream On and Mama Kin, an amazing list of songs that they worked over together and made special by the way that they would work that sentence finishing thing together. And sometimes they had help, like we talked about before, uh, like Dick Wagner on Same Old Song and Dance with the Brecker Brothers playing the horn, stuff like that throughout their career. These two guys backed up Tyler in a way that I don't know that anybody else could. Two axes and a rhythm section, all working together with Steven Tyler, the entire goddamn 70s, rocked out by Aerosmith. That's my number one. They're my number one honorable mention. And we are almost there. I know. I wonder if that flip thing can count as our one tie since we did the flip. We'll have to call Vegas. Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) He said, don't let them finish the sentence. No. (laughs) Those guys. Those guys in Vegas are crazy. It's still fun, no matter how many we do or don't have in common here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. But it is always time to compare notes and honorable mentions. And we already have our top honorable mentions matching. So it's almost like we got number one, right? (laughs) Totally. A tie at (laughs) 1-0. I'm also pretty fond of Carlos Santana from listening to that debut album on my cousin's stereo in 1969 and 70 through the decades i've just always loved his amazing guitar also on my list marcus that kid from freehold what a great episode of the podcast all about bruce springsteen who i think is a highly underrated guitar player. my life in the 70s marcus really is divided into two halves music before i knew about steely dan and music after they were in my life walter becker definitely a big part of that and one of my honorable mentions he's the guitar player of his generation all genres no questions asked billy gibbons of zz top on honorable mentions and Marcus, my final honorable mention is a man who spans the generations from before the 70s through that decade into the 80s and beyond to today. The 70s are when he became American, which is why he still is here. Neil Young, an amazing American-Canadian treasure. The Bruce Springsteen uh, and the E Street Band group of guitars made my honorable mention as cool. well. They're incredible, and what they did as a team was brilliant and you're right about Bruce not getting the credit he deserves as a guitar player he is a great guitar player and after having seen him live a few times I learned how good he was live you're like wow he really does that himself absolutely yep and he plays and he plays well also Tom Schultz Boston's guitarist is a big uh, big one of my favorites that album for us at like 10 11 years old was one of those Game Changers in Rock and Roll. Elliot Easton and Rick Ocasek of the Cars. Their music was really big to us during those last few years. Yeah. And this one shocked me, but I didn't know who the guitarist was on a lot of the songs that Stevie Wonder played in the 70s, but it's Michael Cimbello. Maniac, maniac, oh no. That guy. One and the same. Yes. And his guitar work on Sir Duke and some of the other songs and Songs of the Key of Life is just wonderful.
also Steve Lucas. Hold Luke. on, hold on. <laughs> it's the research department coming in with a flash. Michael Sambello of Philadelphia, where we live, Marcus. Just wanted to let you know that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much to the research team. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, research team. Yes, and also Steve Lukather from Toto, Thomas McClary and Milan Williams of the Commodores. Their guitar sound was so big to me in that time period. Jim Croce, because my dad was really into him. And then, of course, the first album I bought was Holland Oates, so I've got great love for John Oates. And and Joe Walsh is my final honorable mention. Ooh, here's one I definitely missed. I love Joe Walsh from then through to today. It was part of my high school soundtrack. Uh, all the Barnstorm stuff, all the pre-Eagle stuff. And then, of course, the Eagles were like the coolest band in our high school. And then he joined the Eagles. I was like, oh, man, I'm never getting tickets to see those guys. <laughs> and it was then. So, yeah, you, know. you had to go to Damone. You had to go to a guy named Damone to get tickets. Okay. I do for you, gentlemen. You the guy with the Van Halen tickets? That could be. How much you want for something in the first ten rows? Twenty bucks a piece. Those tickets are only twelve fifty. So don't buy them. Come on, Arnold. All the other scalpers are sold out. Scalper? Did you call me a scalper? Listen, gentlemen, I perform a service here, and the service costs money. Now, do you want the tickets or don't you? Okay, we'll take them. Well, that's how we roll here on an episode of Five Favorites. It's all how we feel. You have your own, and if you've got them and you want to post them on Facebook or hit us with them on Twitter, you can do that, or just send us an email. Imbalancehistory at gmail.com. You can also connect to us via the website as well, so make sure you hit imbalancedhistory.com. Until the next time that we get together to do a silly episode of Five Favorites or anything else here on the Dark Doc Media Radio Network. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this has been Five Favorites, American guitarists of the 1970s on the imbalanced history of rock and roll.